0: Who else needs another marketing tool or a sales tool? I mean, for God's sakes, the place is just saturated, right? So if you have persona, uh, your personas, your messaging, everything's dialed in. Why not just multiply that with with volume, right? Because we're still a three-man team. It's it's an all-founding team. You know, I lead sales and business development. I can't be a thousand places at once. If I know what's working, why not double down instead of investing in PPC or some of this other stuff that we we just know might not convert because in the space that we're in.
1: Welcome to Decision Point, a podcast about overcoming adversity in sales and the growth that we experience in the process. I'm Brad Siemens. So first off, I saw you went to Miami. Is that right? That's right. Miami, Ohio. Okay. Are you from the Midwest? I'm from Cincinnati. Yeah. Okay. So you're right. That was pretty close to home then. That's uh, right. So how did you end up in Arizona? It's funny. So after Miami,
0: I actually shipped out to uh, Seattle, Washington. I was out there for a couple of years and then about three years after Seattle, I moved down to Scottsdale, Arizona um, with my past employer, SAP, and I've been here ever since.
1: Okay. Tell me a little bit about the business. Tell me kind of how you guys got to the business model and kind of walk me through what you guys do. Sure.
0: So how we started, essentially, when I was a sales rep at SAP Concur, it was harped on leadership um, to be finding and selling to our past users and buyers, right? So we're looking for VP of finance, CFOs, AP managers that have used our tool, both in the travel and expense and the invoice side that have moved to for companies, right? And at scale, when a company has, you know, 40,000 customers, there's a lot of end users to kind of track and monitor. So we were doing this completely manual right? SDRs are doing it manual. We were doing it manual. It's terrible. It's a dreadful process. Um, You have to interface between all these different tools just to get to a lead that might actually not be a a former past user. So I went to one of our co-founders bachelor party, Ben. Uh, We're at his bachelor party in Chelan, Washington. And I was chatting with his brother who was a developer and just toying with the idea of saying, Hey, can we build this? Is this possible? Like, how would this work? So we chatted, and then we met again uh, for Ben's wedding, and I finally recruited him to say, okay, he'll be a partner in this. So Dennis and myself were at this since October of 2021, and in January of 2022, we actually recruited Ben from Amazon to come manage the product full-time. So we have a team of three, and so fast forward to present, we're not bootstrapped, we're customer-funded, that's what we say. Um, I just got that from another call earlier this morning, I thought that was pretty good. Now we're we're in in the trenches. We're go to market. We're trying to land our first handful of customers.
1: So, do you think about being bootstrapped and customer funded as being two separate things because you're not putting your own money into it, uh, or well, you so, just like the you just like the customer funded? I actually talked to the CEO uh, David from
0: uh, Whistle. As uh, SDR outsourcing services. And I'd said that we were bootstrapped and he said, you know, we, we like to call that customer funded around here. So I was like, you know what? I think we're going to adopt that, but adopt now, the customer we, funded. For, for, for a while, we were pretty bootstrapped <laughs> <It went laughs> out of our
1: pocket. Now, have you guys, do you have plans on raising money? Or are you guys going to try to stay customer funded?
0: We do. Yes. It's a, it's, it's in the, the plans. We're going to see how we can do for another quarter. We kind of like the idea of being scrappy and just experimenting with things. But yeah, it's a, it's an ongoing conversation and we'll see what the market trends are. But, you know, we're having conversations with VCs and, and there's definitely some interest there. It's just us really turning it on, if you will.
1: Yeah, I think the big thing is trying to focus or kind of think around, you know, how are you in a winner take all market is a big thing, because I think most markets are not winner take all. I think there's plenty of space. Uh, you know, if you look at most of the B2B software space market, I did not think is winner take all. And then you got to kind of ask yourself like, okay, what are you bringing the unique to the table? And um, I think a lot of companies go out and try to raise money um, when they really just have people and process problems. And it just makes uh, the problems that they had worse by throwing more money on it. I've been in both scenarios. The company I had before this one, we raised uh, a ton. uh, I mean, it felt like a ton of money to us. Uh, When you see rounds at like $120 million, uh, (laughs) it's not a lot, but uh, we raised a lot of money and um, it it just really compounded issues that we, that we had. So um, let me ask you this. So how'd you get into sales? What was your trajectory coming out of, coming out of Miami of Ohio?
0: Um, I think coming out of Miami Ohio. So the first company that I worked for is a company called Brooksource. Um, It's an IT uh, recruiting firm
1: based out of Indianapolis. Yeah. It's an indie company.
0: Yeah. And I just connected with my, the first manager that actually ever hired me. Um, It just felt like a fit. We talked, I think for, an extra 30 minutes than our scheduled time.
1: So did you know you were going to go into the sales space or you weren't, you weren't sure at that point? Uh,
0: I wasn't sure. I was kind of one of those college kids that was just like, I'm not really sure where I want to land, but I was extremely attracted to uh, technology, B2B SaaS. And I actually told the manager that hired me in Cincinnati, I said, look, I want to move out of Cincinnati within 12 months. What are my options? He said, well, we're planning on opening an office in Dallas and Seattle. So bust your ass, we'll see where you're at. And then we can see, you know, what office fits best for you. And then sure enough, it was about the 18, about 18 month mark. I was in Seattle.
1: Now, now, did you like your time in Seattle?
0: I loved it. Yeah, it was awesome. I mean, look, I'm a Midwest kid. that went to, you know, big, big city um, right there on the water. Yeah. I had a great time, met awesome mm-hmm. friends and pretty much launched my career.
1: I got a lot of geographical questions, but we'll keep, uh, we'll kind of <laughs> keep, we'll keep going down this. So when you think about your product, um, you could probably fit it in about anywhere, uh, you know, in terms of anybody that's selling needs to know where people have moved. Where mm-hmm. are you guys finding traction?
0: We're finding traction on the marketing side and the sales development side, right? Sales development, that's obviously a, a, can be a brutal role They're They're asked to do a lot, especially on the manual research and prepping of lists and finding the right people to reach out to. And we can kind of aggregate some of that data and consolidate it into a single interface. So they could say, hey, we, I found these 20 people that have changed jobs in my territory. This is easy easy pickings for me to call today and maybe through the end of the week, right? But also on the marketing side, we're seeing traction from outbound folks that are doing email newsletters because we were told in that you know some companies are, are finding out that people are changing jobs based on the bounce backs they get from their newsletter. Yeah. So that's a pretty reactive way to look at things, right? So there's definitely been some outbound interest from the marketing team and, and CMOs as well.
1: Now are you going out to the internet and finding are you, are you leveraging, you know, kind of online resources to figure out if somebody's moved?
0: Yeah, so kudos to the product team Ben and Dennis. They've Ben has some ex- experience with machine learning back in his Amazon days. So they basically built this machine learning model that aggregates a lot of sources from the internet, career uh, resume sites, LinkedIn, Google API, and we basically just create this high-level funnel that really narrows down within Pidgey. So by the time it gets to the end user, it's,
1: it's, that's run and gun. Man, how'd you come up with Pidgey? Pidgey <laughs> sounds like a nickname like, your, gr- your grandma might call you. Like, I feel <laughs> like that might be like a nickname your grandma might call you.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, I came on it because, you know, B2B SaaS, so I was looking for a name that's, that's one word, easy, it sticks. And I don't know what came across, but one of my buddies had mentioned, he said the word Pidgey and he just spelled it with the I. And so I quickly checked that the domain was available and Pidgey.io sounded really nice off the tongue. And I was like, I'm going with it.
1: So there's so many like little things to kind of zoom in on about this story that I think are funny. One, you're at a bachelor party and uh, there's all these bachelor (laughs) things going on and you're like, hey, come over here. What do you think about this business model? Uh, It was really funny. And then the fact that you're Googling Pidgey, did you do it right in front of him? Or you like, he said it, you immediately got your phone out? it,
0: it, yeah, it was over chat. Uh, it was over chat and I was like, oh, that, that sounds slick. And I knew I wanted a dot IO in the domain name. I was like, man, this could be perfect. And then yeah, boom, had it.
1: So sales loft used to do a conference or Kyle Porter and a couple of guys down in Atlanta used to do a conference called basically like the unbound conference that HubSpot does, but they did it for outbound. I can't remember what they called it. But anyways, I went down, I went down to it and the guy that spoke's name's Alan Nance. If I knew what he was going to talk about, I would have sponsored the whole weekend. But he talked. He primarily talked about outbound, and he used the word all bound. So he said, "Hey, there's all this." He's like, "If I hear one more person say inbound's better than outbound, and this guy owned a big email marketing company. He said I'm going to lose my mind." But what his point was is like, "Hey, to be successful in sales, it's not one or the other. It's all of the things. You got to do all the things that drive in leads. You got to do inbound. You got to do outbound." Um, you got to do stuff on LinkedIn. You got to have an inbound, you got to have an outbound sales team. You got to, there's not one thing. You got to do all the things. And I looked down, there's a guy from Arizona named Scott and he's sitting there Googling it on his phone and he bought the domain all bound. And then he built a company on, on the name all bound. Um, yeah. Pretty successful company. So yeah, he was sitting, uh, I can't remember Scott's last name, but I looked down the, I looked right at him and he was like sitting there on his phone, you know, <laughs> buying it.
0: You know, Moments like that, they could just they could just come. They just kind of hit you in the in the wind and you just got to know to capitalize on it. And I said, you know what? I've been mulling over the name potentials and all of these suck. I hate them. And this just came. So yeah, I ran with it.
1: But yeah, it's, uh, it's a good story. Man, I wish I could run. You know Scott's last name since he's in your backyard? I you don't know. know but okay. I know
0: one of the VCs here that has funded his company. So that's how I'm familiar um,
1: yeah, it's a bit. It's, yeah, it's gotten a lot. They've done a success, but no, it is funny because he literally bought it. You know, he bought it right there on on site when when uh, Alan Nance came up with the with the word. So so I'm going to transition the topic a little bit. You and I got connected on LinkedIn because you talked about outsourcing your sales development and um, you really got my gears turning. I came from the business model that I have today is a is a root of the outsourced appointment setting model and i have a lot of opinions on it and i would love to kind of hear kind of your thought and process and i knew you used the word i think your post basically said hey as a startup and you're sort of this you're a first-time founder right
0: that's right okay so
1: you're out there trying to figure stuff out so i'd love to kind of hear your thoughts on outsourcing and uh, i can tell you a little bit about mine and we can sort of we can sort of walk through this together but i'd love that you really got my gears turning when you brought up that post and so i made a couple subsequential posts Okay. Um, that have probably made some gurus mad, but anyways, I'd, I'd love to talk <laughs> about this this subject.
0: Yeah, let's talk about that subject. So my take is, you know, and it could be from a, a naive perspective, right? Like I've, I've never hired teams, I've never managed teams, uh, but I've worked certainly worked on sales teams, and I look back at my career so far, approaching ten years and actually professional career, right? Some of the best times and some of my best memories and best times as a sales rep has come when I was in the office sharing that camaraderie, hitting the floor with people, being on the phones, right? And you know, that that's very particular to sales and sales SDRs. And as I was writing that post out, I'm coming across a lot of SDR kind of outsourcing companies on LinkedIn. Some seem to be better than others and I've talked to some of the founders and I love the idea of outsourcing to a company that has 15 SDRs on the floor, they're being led by, you know, a 20-25 year sales vet who's been there, done that and is there to kind of You know, get the troops rallied, let's hit the phones, let's talk, let's kind of have that banter because sales and SDRs, they need that, right? It's very hard to get jazzed on the phone sitting in your second bedroom to dial 50 calls, you know, a day. That's hard.
1: I've been having conversations with uh, people just about about this very subject about sales, the fact that we've really lost sales culture. One of my first memories, I kind of have two memories that really shaped my business career. Both of them came from a call center experience. So my dad owned, a call center. They did lead generation for a mortgage company. So in order to get to, I'd go to his office after school. I also was the night DJ on the night shift. So I had to run <laughs> the call center software. I think I was officially the call center manager, but I thought I was a DJ because I got to play all the music. So at night I'd, I'd have, there's maybe, I don't know, 200 or 300 night shift reps. And I'd, I'd, I'd like crank up the music and get everybody all jazzed up to make call California. The other memory I had was to get, when I was at the night shift DJ to get to my dad's office, I had to go up to the sales room and I remember walking on the floor and there's probably 15, got 10, 15 guys selling. And there was Phil and Ryan. Ryan was a girl. And that might've been why I was down there. Cause she had just graduated college and I'm like a senior in high school. And I thought she was really cute. So I think uh, <laughs> part of the reason why I might've been hanging out there was because of her, but there are all these guys that I learned to sell from because I sat there and listened to them, you know, I'm there and there's a big whiteboard And they're putting their numbers up there. And I'm probably, I mean, not probably, I'm totally a distraction to the sales manager because I'm the, the owner's kid and I'm trying to hang out in a sales meeting. But that's really where I learned to sell. And I got my initial experiences and eventually they'll let me pick up the phone and I'll sell a deal before I go up to college. But I learned from these guys. And since we've moved virtual, that's really been pulled out of a lot of sales cultures is that camaraderie. And I don't know that all sales is team oriented, but I definitely think software sales is, you know, it's tribal, it's fraternal. It's something that's shared with other people. One of the best tips I've ever learned, I learned from sitting at a co-working space a decade ago, listening to a guy named Matt Moulter pitch. And he was a police officer that taught himself to code, that built a software company. And then he sold it. He's a multimillionaire. And he is such a fascinating guy because he decided when he started the company, that he wasn't going to pay himself more than a teacher's salary. He bootstrapped the whole company, sold it. He's a multimillionaire. I pick him up for lunch and he always, I'm like, Hey, are you getting a house yet? And he's like, nah, everything out there is too expensive. I'm like, bro, <laughs> you're like literally like yeah. you have more money than, than tons of like all the software founders we know combined. I love um, that. So, but the point is I learned from him. He used to say this thing that I learned from sitting there around him, which was, He'd get somebody to the spot. He'd say, Mr. Police Officer, because he all the police officers. He'd say, if you don't buy this today, if you don't buy my solution, how are you going to solve this problem? And he would just be quiet and they would talk. And, you know, I've used that multiple times throughout my career. I mean, like I said, it was probably a decade ago, but that's mm-hmm. something I, I learned from that tribal experience of sitting next, yep. like sitting next and learning to somebody else. And I really do think we have an interesting road ahead of us when we think about the fact that we pulled that out of a lot of, I mean, most sales cultures have had it stripped out. And then the people coming out of college don't know any different, so they don't know that they need that.
0: Let me tell you, Brad, and they're not going to learn it from scrolling through LinkedIn and reading a bunch of long-winded posts about what to do on the sales call when it's all contradicting each other.
1: It is all contradicting. Why is there so much contradicting information?
0: I don't know. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna I'm not gonna entertain that. All I can say was, is <laughs> all I could say is there's absolutely truth in to your point. And I did this at BrookSource where I was shadowing being out on the road all day, doing client drops, shaking hands, just being there, hearing it, seeing the interaction, so much different than doing this, you know, over Zoom. 100%. And so back to my previous point on that post is I'd rather just, you know, pay I'll I'll pay for the culture. It's not even I'm paying for the meetings booked and the demos, I'll pay for that culture. You know, that's where where I kind of looked at it.
1: Where you were looking at it. Yeah. And I think that's a really interesting take. I I think a couple people chimed in on one of my posts and felt like I was being (laughs) anti-outsourcing. I'm not anti-outsourcing. I think one of the challenges that you have as a startup, if you don't know your messaging, it's really hard to hand that off to somebody else because nobody's going to care about you as much as you care about yourself. You know, your messaging I think one of the reasons that it's frowned upon, and I don't, and I, I think you can make it work, and I definitely think there's parts of the cycle that you can pull apart, like email and list creation, um, and and be able to manage those aspects um, really well um, in an outsourced perspective. On the phone side, I just think you run the risk. It has everything to do with who you hire, whether you hire somebody internally to do it or you hire somebody externally. Lead generation on the outbound side has to do with people mm-hmm. and either they hire good people or you hire good people, but it's all about the people. And yep. um, if you can find a firm that has that and can, I think the the risk you run into with an outsourced vendor, um, if you outsource the appointment setting lead generation, I think could be that, you know, as long as their clients aren't moving around on them, then you're good. I think mm-hmm. there's a little bit of fragility and it all has to do with who you who you hire, right? But if their clients are moving, around and it puts pressure on them and they got to move all their people around and you're only as good as the people setting the appointments for you and so if i were in your shoes and i was going to go outsource it i just you know have lots of questions around the recruiting process and client retention because all those things impact you know how they're setting appointments or how how the the flow is going for you Um, but i do like the idea about like the idea around culture you're outsourcing the culture piece to somebody else that's an interesting that's an interesting take
0: And that's the way that I talked about it with my team, because, you know, you look at our situation, it's, we're not going to go out and get real estate anytime soon, right? So those first couple hires, they are going to be remote. Everyone's going to be in their, you know, in their environment, in their call space, right? And, you know, I was thinking about same rules apply with kind of VC and funding, right? Like VCs want to come in when they know that you've established your messaging and they know that their, their funds are going to put gas on the fire and i think the same could apply for you know an sdr outsource team this is the messaging that's working here are the icp here are the personas double down on this and let's see if we can get some you know up to the right trajectory
1: 100 percent, and that's how i would think about it because i don't think there's anything wrong i think the issues become if you don't know what you want it's really hard to have somebody else take it over You know, if if I don't know who we're targeting, and I don't know the if I don't know the ICPS, and I don't know the messaging, which I think in your case is based on the product, it's really simple. It's it's a of sales, most likely, maybe an inside sales manager. Your use case is really tight. People have left the company. We need to track them down. I think it's but hey, we're launching a product. We don't know how it's. I mean, what you guys are developing, people are doing by hand, and I think a lot of sales products are like that. Is that you've had sales teams that have really not that it need, have needed help for years and never got the products they needed. And so a lot of this stuff, there's already a product created for it. It's called some interns on a spreadsheet. Yeah. And let me, <laughs>
0: let me pose a different <laughs> spin on that too. That's completely right. Yeah. And the other spin on there is like, who, who else needs another marketing tool or a sales tool? I mean, for God's sakes, the place is just saturated, right? So if you have persona, uh, your personas, your messaging, everything's dialed in why not just multiply that with with volume right because we're still a three-man team it's a it's an all-founding team you know i lead sales and business development i can't be a thousand places at once if i know what's working why not you know double down instead of investing in you know ppc or some of this other stuff that we we just know might not convert because in the space that we're in
1: yeah Let me ask you this. What's the one thing that you're like the most passionate about right now? And it could be work. It could be sales. But what's the thing that's getting you up in the what's getting you up in the morning every day?
0: I think it's the team for sure. Um, When I first shipped to Seattle with Brooksource, we had a four, uh, four or five man team and we were scrappy. We were extremely scrappy. We were close. We were tight. And now, you know, I went to Concur. I was at a big team. A lot of people moving around. Now I'm back in a team where it's just there's three people, we're all in this driver's seat and let's figure it out like that. It's kind of what drives me. Everything else we'll figure out because we're, we have a really good team in place, but just being able to work with my friends and just calling the shots, its that's the best part.
1: Yeah, I mean, something to be said. I, uh, David Cummings, who uh, started Pardot, who I'm a really big fan of, he says, you know, the reality is as a startup founder, there's not a lot of stuff that you're actually in control of. You can't control the economy. I mean, whether you think you can or not, you can't control the economy, you can't control the business atmosphere, you can't control your competitors, you can't control your clients, but you can't control who you hire. I do think an add-on to that that I've always thought about that's super important. You can control who you bring on as a client. Um, when, you're a, when you're a software company, that kind of goes out, you know, you can pick who you work with. And I think that's the nice thing about being, being a founder and doing your own thing is you get to pick the people around you. And there's something to be said mm-hmm. about waking up in the morning and going out working with the people you like. Yep. Uh, and that you want to be around. So, well, this was great, Zach. I appreciate your time coming on, and I uh, uh, love having you. And the best of luck to Pidgey, and um, we'll see you around.
0: Likewise, thanks for having me, Brad. Chat soon. Hey, yeah, you're welcome.